This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone. It is Bryce and Ren here, co-founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO. That's right. Equity Mates' initial party offering is here. FinFest is coming. We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival. With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience. So save the date, 15th of October, 2022. Head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equitymates FinFest is powered by Stake. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equitymates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own time. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. Are you joining us for the very first time? Is this the very start of your investing journey? Well, before you dive into this episode with us, our feed is designed to go from the very beginning. So we strongly recommend that you scroll up and start at episode one. Here at JSI, we unpack all the jargon and the confusing bits. We hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating. And of course, we want to have a good time along the way. My name is Bryce. And as always, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, If people made it through that slog of an intro, uh, the one thing to note, we normally say scroll up up and start at episode one. Uh, But this episode is going to be a little bit topical because we've just had the federal budget, uh, I was about to say unveiled, I don't know if that's the right word, handed down. They make Uh, it unveiling. We've had the grand reveal of the federal budget and um, we're going to talk about it for listeners outside of Australia, some of this not so relevant, but also I think relevant because we want to just touch on does this matter for the stock market? Does this matter for investors? And how does it matter for investors? And we are also going to be joined by the superstar economist himself, uh, Thomas from Comedian V Economist, former Reserve Bank of Australia economist, current podcast superstar, the best economist in the podcast game, people are saying. Um, So stick around for that. But Bryce... Bit of housekeeping first. Bit of housekeeping, Ren. Two really exciting pieces of housekeeping. The first is that we have launched our latest show, eighth show in the network. It's called The Dive and it's our take on business news. We know that the world of business is exciting and there's plenty going on. And uh, three times a week, we're going to be unpacking one big business news story, leaving the jargon at the door and keeping you up to speed with the fascinating world of business. We know it's exciting and we don't think traditional finance media does a good job of communicating that. 
But yep. more importantly, why it matters. So we're leaving the jargon, we're leaving the numbers, well, some of the numbers at the door. There will be some <laughs> there numbers. There will be some. But we're not talking about day-to-day market movements here. We're talking about meaningful long-term stories. We've been practicing some yep. of the recent practices. We've done Oscars. Um, the, the business of the Oscars. Uh, we've done how AI is being used to discover new drugs. We've done the, bus- super yacht. the business of super yachts. We've a- answered the question, will I be in a self-driving car by yep. the end of the year? Are um, sports teams a good investment? Yeah. So, look, a lot of big stories, a lot of interesting stories, and not what you'd expect from your traditional business news. But, hey, who says business news needs to be all business? Ba-dunch. Nice. <laughs> so make sure you subscribe to that. Check it out. It's called The Dive by Equity Mates Media and uh, we'll be launching that next week. So um, subscribe so you don't miss the first episode. Secondly, Ren, uh, we have just announced the venue for FinFest and that is at the Cutaway in Barangaroo. If you haven't been there, it's a massive uh, outsized underground cutaway into the hill at Barangaroo. Huge open space, quite architecturally magnificent. And uh, it's going to be an awesome venue for Equity Mates to host our first major live event, which is FinFest. We're bringing together experts, we're bringing together entertainment, DJs, food trucks, you name it, to create an event that will inspire you no matter where you are on your investing journey. Give you the chance to hang out with other like-minded people as well. Look, if you missed Buddy Franklin's thousandth goal and running onto the field, you missed one of the, you know, the iconic Sydney moments for 2022. You'd be kicking yourself if you missed the second iconic Sydney moment. So sign up, equitymates.com slash finfest, and you'll be the first to know when tickets are available. That's it. 15th of October, 2022. Uh, register now so you get those early bird tickets. All right, Bryce. Uh, we're talking about... Uh, iconic moments. Uh, we're talking about, <laughs> yeah, iconic moments. And there is no more iconic moment than the budget. And I've got to say, Josh Frydenberg had an iconic hairstyle this year as well. No hair. It was beautiful. (laughs) So the budget was announced this time last week, uh, Tuesday evening. Um, It's traditionally on a Tuesday and uh, Friday Friday comes um, out. It gets primetime billing and I saw one of the headlines the next day. So it's like 7.30 he speaks. Maths beat it in the ratings. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honestly not surprised. It was a massive episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... um, So, yeah, this time last week, the government stand up and essentially pitch to us what they're going to be spending for the 2022-2023 financial year. So we're going to leave a bit of the the politics side out of it and this episode uh, unpack what the purpose of a government budget is, how it influences economy and the stock market. Uh, Take a look at some of the key elements of the the budget this year. And then, as Ren said, check in with our chief economist, Thomas, to hear his thoughts. So let's start at the top, Ren. So Bryce, two pieces of jargon right at the top. Yeah. Fiscal policy and monetary policy. Yeah. Explain it to me in a way that doesn't make me turn this podcast off and go and listen to another one. (laughs) Sure. Both of those are policy measures that a government can utilise to influence the economy. Fiscal policy is how the government spends its money and how it uses tax as a way to influence the economy as well. So it's government spending and tax policy. The second is monetary policy. Uh, Might be a bit confusing as we've just spoken about spending and tax, but monetary policy talks about 
uh, and influences interest rates. It's um, how the government uses interest rates to manipulate economic activity and to influence how much money is out in the economy, the money supply. And the reason money supply is important, if there's lots of money sloshing around, uh, it changes the dynamic of demand and supply and what we can do and spend with our money. So, And, and confusingly, how expensive money is. Exactly, how expensive money is. So interest rates. Um, so two key pieces of jargon, but key economic theory, fundamental theory. I think the way to think about it uh, very simply is monetary policy interest rates the money supply is indirect they change something and then that has flow-on effects into the economy what we heard last week from the government is a lot more direct we're going to spend money on this we're going to tax this so fiscal. that's one way to think about it as well that's fiscal policy that's the budget now bryce the next question does this matter for an investor what <laughs> which part both parts Yes. The government saying that they're going to spend money and uh, give everyone a support payment, for example, of $250 doesn't really have a direct impact on the stock market. Of course, um, you could deduce it back and say we, we might go out and spend more on retail and, and then that has flown effects to listed retail companies and you could make those arguments. But what we're more interested in it, as investors is the monetary policy, the setting of interest rates. We know that interest rates have direct impact on how we value assets and how we value our investments, but also the cost of money, the cost of doing business, all those sorts of things. Which can be confusing because you just said it has a direct impact and I called it indirect. On the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think at a high level, when monetary policy changes, when the supply of money is changed and when interest rates change, the stock market cares a lot. Everyone, like every, you, a whole bunch of articles are written about it, a whole bunch of people talk about it, stock prices move. When the government hands down a budget, the majority of the stock market shrugs its shoulders and um, there's a bunch of articles written with a real political focus. Um, but I guess like the Bloombergs of the world um, probably write a couple of articles, but then quickly move on with whatever the news of the day is. I think at a high level, you can say that the, the market cares more about monetary policy than fiscal policy. Yeah, it's all interlinked. But the second part of that is that the budget can have very specific impacts on very specific companies. So the market as a whole might shrug their shoulders a little bit and move on, but investors in specific companies or specific industries care a lot. Defence spending, for example. Well, that's a great example from this year. So why don't you set that up with what happened and then hit us from there? Sure. So uh, one of the takeaways from the budget is that uh, the government will be increasing defence spending by $2.8 billion to $48 billion. Now, this is um, to increase the number of people in our army, un uniformed personnel by 18,500 to 80,000 by 2040. So it's a, a huge increase. Uh, and they're going to spend an additional 38 billion over the next 18 years. Pretty significant. Although 80,000 relative to some other armies around the world. Well, do you know how big China's army is? It's like a couple of million, isn't it? It's 2.2 million active personnel and 1.2 million reserve personnel. That's crazy, <laughs> crazy. 
They're going to double the size of the Australian Signals Directorate with an additional $9.9 billion. So how does this relate to the market? More money coming in from the government into, gov- into defence spending. Uh, one way to look at this would be to see which companies that are listed have uh, contracts with government departments that are involved in defence, you could likely assume that over the next 20 or 30 years, uh, if their government are going to be increasing spending, they might be uh, able to get larger contracts and thus uh, do better. Yeah, more money in the space means more yeah. potential to take some of that money. And and then if you're in Australia, there's a bunch of ASX-listed defence stocks that could benefit. Austal, a shipbuilder, Electro Optic Systems, that one gets a bit of buzz in the equipment community, um, but a bunch more that you can uh, do your own research on and have a look at. So, you know, the market as a whole might shrug, but the defence investors in the defence sector might get excited. I would wait and see if the companies that you like actually do get any mm. of that money before you get too excited because who knows where that money actually ends up. That's That's the second part of this equation. But hey, $2.8 billion is $2.8 billion, nothing to sniff at. You know, so that's when the government gives money. On the same side, the market cares if uh, tax policy really yeah. affects a segment. In Australia, about well, about 10 years ago now, there was a big political fight over a resource super profits tax. Yeah. And that was basically Australians love mining. We are a mining, we are a resource rich country. And the government wanted to take some of the excess profits that the mining industry were making. That obviously affects mining investors because the profits that the companies would be making, they'll be losing more of that in tax. So I think in a general sense, if we want to start by answering the question, how much does the market care about what governments do? The market as a whole cares about monetary policy, interest rate settings and the supply of money. The specific segments of the market that are affected by government budgets care about fiscal policy. Nice. Well, um, before we chat to Thomas, so we've spoken about defence, Ren. Were there any other sort of key elements that uh, we should highlight before getting a bit more detail from Thomas? Well, I think cash in pockets is a big one. This was a pre-election budget and you can tell what the election is going to be fought on here in Australia. The defence spending isn't an accident. Mm. The defence spending is because they want it to be a battle line. And cash in pockets is cost of living pressures are big. Yep. Price of fuel, price of food, all of that is going up. Uh, so a $9 billion package to one, cut the petrol excise by 22 cents a litre for the next six months, which basically means for the next six months, you get 10% off a litre in petrol. If it's sitting at two bucks. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's around that two, yeah. $2.20 mark now. So that's 10% off. For 10 million Australians, low and middle income earners, they'll get a one-off tax rebate of $420 and then another 6 million Australians will get a one-off $250 payment. So cash in pockets. Now, so then you ask, well, who's that money going to benefit in the stock market? Like what companies are going to benefit? And you would say consumer staples. I think as cost of living is going up, this money is to help people afford the necessities of life more than you know any discretionary spending upgrading mm. their phone new clothes stuff like that so it, it'll be the staples it'll be food electricity fuel stuff like that you'd look at companies like i guess coles woolies and met cash but i think the important thing is it's a one-off payment yeah it's a six-month cut to the fuel excise you wouldn't make any long-term assumptions about companies. I didn't look, but I would hazard a guess that Coles, Woolies and Metcash, their share price didn't move as a result of the budget. You wouldn't think so. No. I haven't had a look, but it's um, 
it's a bit sh- it's short term you know good on the government there's a bunch of other stuff um we put up an instagram post about some of the stuff in the budget uh but i don't think we need to cover it more because thomas will do a far better job of explaining it and giving his thoughts so let's um have a quick break and then get thomas on the line you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So we are joined by uh, Thomas, the chief economist here at Equity Mates, the uh, podcast host extraordinaire uh, of Comedian v Economist. We hear the best economist in the podcast game and a former <laughs> Reserve Bank of Australia economist. So, Thomas, uh, we there's no one better to join us today and give us the 101 on the budget. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start high level. Uh, overall, mm. what were your impressions of this year's budget? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's interesting. Like if you zoom back out, like you can kind of think about a budget being expansionary or contractionary. Like it's a tool that the government has. It's a lever that they can lean on to either, you know, give the economy a bit of a pump or to slow it down a little bit. And in that sense, it's it's an expansionary budget. It's not massively expansionary. It's not a you know it's not a disaster budget like COVID where you had to spend big to get out of the the trouble that was coming. But it's still expansionary. You're still looking at like there's 17.2 billion there that they could have left off the table, but they decided to put in. You had the the cost of living measures. That's 8.6 billion, or about half percent of half a percent of GDP. They didn't need to be there either. Yeah. So broadly, it's it's a stimulatory budget. It gives the economy a little little pump of the accelerator pedal. The interesting sort of thing for me is that. It's not clear that we really it's, we really need to be pumping the the accelerator pedal right now. In the forecast, you've got unemployment rate going to three point seven five percent, so that's the lowest level since the nineteen seventies. Investments up, you know, the commodity booms in full effect. Wages growth is expected to pick up. They often miss on that forecast, but that seems like it's pretty likely given how tight the labour market is. When you've got a tight labour market, that reduces the welfare spending that you've got to pay, like you're not paying out unemployment benefits. So that's all good news for the budget and good news for the economy. So it's not it's not clear that we need to be pumping the accelerator pedal from the from the data that we've got. But that's that's sort of where we got. And in that sense, it's a classic election budget. It does aim seem to be aimed squarely at, at winning some votes. Yeah, so no surprises on that front. But were there any surprises once you dug into it a little or do you feel like this was what we were to expect at this time of an election campaign? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there weren't a lot of surprises in that most of the most of the measures were flagged well ahead of the release of the budget, mm. just to sort of try and capture that that good news story effect and, and get some get some airtime free of the budget. 
Yeah, so nothing to there. I mean, and in a sense, it's, it's responding to the to the challenges of the day. So like the the petrol, the cut to the petrol price excise, they cut cut that in half. That's going to put money in consumers' pockets. But that's really a, a phenomenon that's driven by the current two months, like the recent recent two months or so with the war in the, the Ukraine. It's not a long term structural issue. It's, it's sort of. It does seem to be aimed squarely at the moment. It's it's a budget that's living in the moment. Mm. I mean, the big one for me, having just lived, been through the floods up here in northern New South Wales, is there's very there's you know there's a, almost no mention of climate change or climate action. Renew the renew economy. They reckon that climate action in the budget's decreasing 35 percent over the next four years. So there's nothing there. Personally, I find that a bit disappointing. We uh, we definitely echo that the uh, the cuts to the clean energy agencies is. Is uh is pretty disappointing. The big, you know, the big long-term spending commitment is around defence. Um, mm. Was as you know, as investors, as citizens in Australia, um, is that something that we'll see any you know flow-on effects into the economy more generally or into the stock market, or is that going to be a sort of contained in the world of, of defence? I think it's interesting in the sense, like, it's not hard defence. So there is $38, 38 billion to expand the number of soldiers, armed personnel uh, in the defence force. That's over 20 years. So it's not massive over that kind of time horizon, but still beefing up those numbers. What's interesting, I think, is you've got the, the cyber security aspect, the Project Red Spice that they're calling it. That's got yeah. So that's got ten billion over ten years. So that's looking at cyber, data science, and intelligence. There's nineteen hundred new jobs at ASIO. That's sort of interesting in the sense like we're we're beefing up in the cyber security space, and that's that's an area where you could expect to see some bleed between the public sector and the private sector. That either that the government pulls in consultants with expertise in cyber security, like Adam might just drop that. My brother, and my co-host. <laughs> He's, he's open to offers if there's a good something good on the table. <laughs> yeah, so that so that might that might beef, beef up some like if, if some domestic firms get contracts out of that, that could be a good news story for some of the players in on the ASX. If it yeah, if it feeds through, it sort of it has a more sort of transmission mechanisms that I see into the broader economy than say building tanks or submarines. For example, so maybe maybe that's a good news story there. <laughs> well, uh, if Adam disappears from the pod, we'll know that he's definitely working <laughs> yeah. in the intelligence service. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Thomas, uh, a question that we were just unpacking a little before you came on was how much the budget actually matters on two fronts. Firstly, for sort of general economic activity, and then uh, relating it to the stock market specifically. So, if you could mm. help us unpack those, does the budget matter? General economics 101, and then mm. you know when when they announce it, Frydenberg stands up there. What what does the, the market generally do? I, I'm pretty confident Thomas is going to tell us the budget matters because <laughs> it's the Economist night of night. Uh, True, it's, 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 it's the Oscars Tuxedos. for the economy. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit like the Oscars to be honest. Like it matters because we think it matters, and it has all these nice grabs that we can report on and the, we can economists and journalists can work themselves into a lather over the details. <laughs> but I don't know that it matters all that much. I think we, my, my, my feeling is we tend to overstate the role of federal government in managing the economy. I think the idea that the government is economic managers, 
I think is a bit of a is a bit of a myth that politicians like to sort of keep trotting out because it makes them relevant. So yeah, it's, it's definitely not like it's not the case that you know Josh Frydenberg and, and Scott Morrison are at the helm of the economy and driving the economy. And you know what they do matters, but it's they're not managing the economy in the way you're managing a company. A CEO is managing a, a company, say. There's a bit of a myth out there that, about how much it matters. That said, it's still, you know, like the current budget is 3.4% of GDP. So a broad way to think about that is if all the budget disappeared and there was absolutely no government spending, you'd have a 3.4% fall in the economy. That's pretty substantial. It's pretty massive, but it's never going to happen because a lot of the government features are sort of locked in, like a lot of the administrative stuff the government does isn't discretionary, it sort of just has to be there. That actually feels quite small to me. I would have just assumed the number would have been a lot larger. Mm. Now I'm thinking it's even less important that I watch it. But yeah, you could go that. I mean, I'm talking, sorry, I'm talking about the deficit there of 3.4%. Like not, that's not the public sector. The public sector itself is, is, is much bigger. Right. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. But the difference, so the difference between, you know, so it's 3.4, the deficit 3.4% now it's shrinking to 0.7% by over the forecast horizon, which is out to 24, 25. So that's a sort of a 3% difference more or less. So that's, so, you, so you're, you're taking it, you are, on the on the basic budget numbers, you are taking three percent out of the economy over four years, say. So, yeah, it's it's not massive. It's not massive mm. in that sense. Now, Thomas, we don't want to get political here, um, but mm. one big takeaway that we had wasn't so much in the budget numbers themselves, but what wasn't in the budget numbers. If we go back a few years, there was a lot of debt and deficit rhetoric in uh, mm. from Liberal treasurers. That isn't so much there anymore. Any thoughts on the, the changing of the tone, I guess you could call it? Yeah, it is interesting. Like Josh Weinberg was famous for his back in black and back on track. Um, <laughs> back when I think it's one of his first budgets. I wonder if um, he came up with that himself or he uh, outsourced it to a marketing agency. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it came from a marketing agency, didn't it? Yeah. I don't know if that haunts him. I guess the public's got sort of limited memories because it's now we're not getting back in black till way down the track now. And that's like 10, 10 years of budget deficits. And this is another case where I think, like, the politicians overplayed the importance of the deficit. And there's sort of the, the classic mistake in it is, is saying that the government is like a household. And then if a household has too much debt, then the household is vulnerable and it can get into trouble. And that's true of a household, but it's not true of a government that has the ability to just print money and make up money on the spot and continues to issue debts in its own currency and then can just print money to pay those debts. So it's not to say that it doesn't matter, but it's just it's just a very different beast. And the analogy with a household and a household's financial position just isn't isn't that useful. Mm. And there has there has been a seismic shift in in the way politics, in particular, economists were more flexible around this. But politics, in particular, it was all about the budget surplus. You, you know, governments used to, particularly from the Howard era onwards, were really hanging their hat on their ability to deliver a surplus kind of regardless of the economic conditions. And that's sort of now all, all gone out the window. I mean, one, it's impossible now. Like, it, it'd be incredibly difficult from the current starting point to deliver a surplus, a surplus over the forecast horizon. So that's obviously why you're not making a big deal about it. Mm. But two, we've, we've just been through an experiment where over the past two years, every major developed country has run a massive budget deficit. And it's 
by and large, mostly been okay. You know, things haven't crashed. It hasn't created huge amounts of drama. We do have some inflation in the system, but it's still not clear that it's from it's it's demand demand pull rather than sort of supply shocks and cost push inflation. Yeah, so it's it's sort of been a, it's been this really interesting experiment where we've run ma- massive deficits all over the world, and by and large, it's been all right. So I think, yeah, that bogeyman is not going to have the fear factor it used to. Nice, Thomas. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time today to unpack that. Um, mm. We we know that you are up in northern New South Wales going through uh, the, the floods up mm. there and, and obviously we're thinking of you and, and uh, certainly appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and, and help us unpack this all. So we'll leave it there. Shout out to our community that if you want to hear from uh, more from Thomas and uh, his brother Adam as they unpack everything that's going on in the world of macroeconomics. Uh, make sure you go and subscribe to Comedian v Economist. It's a it's an epic show. Look, I'm going to say they're the only podcast out there that can explain why Twiggy Forrest is Elon Musk's dad, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, go into a discussion on why uh, rent increases lead to house price increases, but house price increases don't lead to rent increases. There you go. A great mix of information and a bit of fun. So definitely go and check that one out. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Awesome. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, cheers, guys. Always a pleasure. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Bates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. 
GLN's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.